Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Always glad you can join us. This episode of The Landscape is brought to you by Delta Dental of Ohio. For more information, visit deltadentaloh.com. We often hear the word sustainability. It's bandied about in conference meeting rooms, annual reports, television commercials. But what does it really mean? Why is it important and why do we want to make it part of our company or organization? That question will be discussed on January 24th as the Greater Cleveland Partnership presents a sustainability summit. It's happening from 7.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. The event's sold out. It'll feature panel discussions, lectures, and other events. The keynote speaker for the summit is Chris Laszlo. Chris is a professor of organizational behavior at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University. He's authored a number of books, including co-authoring Quantum Leadership. Chris, thanks for being with us today. It is my pleasure. Let's start with what might sound simple, but I'm not so sure it is, and that's a working definition of sustainability. I think people either don't quite know what it is or they think it just relates to the environment when you talk about it in the corporate world. What does it mean? Well, when it comes to business, I find it useful to define sustainability in terms of value creation, or for those that don't do it effectively, value destruction. So my my definition uh, is creating value for society and the environment in ways that create even more value for the company's customers and shareholders. So it means operating in ways that financially take into account a business's social and environmental impacts. You know, companies that fail to take these impacts, particularly what are called materially important impacts into account, risk value destruction. And we can go through some examples uh, later. But I think you're, you're right, if, Eric. If, if, could I just add a few more uh, thoughts to this Absolutely. question? You know, I, I understand uh, why there might be confusion uh, about what this term is. If you think about its origins, you know, 35 years ago, we really had the first uh, clear definition. It was actually for sustainable development by the Brundtland Commission. Uh, 35 years ago, and it was meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. And, you know, this idea that we have to live in a way that, you know, doesn't take away the opportunity for future generations to have as good a life as we have is a great philosophical um, principle. And then in the 1990s, another popular definition of sustainability, particularly in the business world, became the triple bottom line. I'm sure many of your listeners will have heard of the triple bottom line or maybe using it. It's people, profit, and planet. But this definition also has sort of a policy and ethical overtone that, in my experience, was often confusing for managers um, and, and not particularly helpful. So, you know, what I, in my consulting practice, I found many of my larger corporate clients were starting to get their arms around sustainability. When it came to triple bottom line, it was, well, do we have to balance economic performance with social and environmental you know, issues? You know, they, they felt that it, there's this, the idea was that you have to compromise somehow economic performance for social and environmental targets. I think we've gotten to a very different place today. And for the sustainability summit on January 24th, we're in a much better place where it's becoming clear that companies that are equipped with the right skill set and tools, uh, for them, uh, they can actually better their economic performance by uh, paying more attention to social, environmental, health, governance issues. 
Let's do one other quick definition, and that is ESG, which is often tied into sustainability. What is that acronym? So, yeah, ESG, uh, Environmental, Social, and Governance, is more about reporting and disclosure than it is about the actual initiatives companies take. Uh, it's a term that dates back only about 20 years, and it's really what's preferred in the investor community, particularly institutional investors, who use ESG reports and disclosures to assess a company's impacts in areas such as chemical pollution, water usage, employee safety, community relations, uh, board independence, uh, and so on. So in summary, and I know this is, can be confusing, okay? <laughs> but while sustainability is about the actual initiatives companies are taking uh, to address their social health governance uh, impacts, ESG is how they report about those. Um, uh, how they and, and the disclosures that they make uh, for particularly if you're a public company, you need to you need to make these disclosures because institutional investors are asking for for these disclosures as way as ways for them to try to assess any risks that the company may have because it's exposed to you know climate change related uh, risks or pollution related risks or supply chain you know human uh, human um, rights issues and so on. So you mentioned what was going on 25 and 30 years ago, but let's go back to the yeah. 1950s and 60s where no one talked about sustainability. What right. for, what forced the change? And I'm not sure if force is the right word, but what made companies decide, no, we need to examine this in addition to whatever our bottom line is? Right. Well, there are a couple of different factors. Uh, one of them is uh, just the degree of transparency we have today because of the internet, because of social media, which of course we didn't have 50 years ago. So 50 years ago, it was possible for a group of CEOs to stand in, in, in the US government uh, halls and raise their hands and say, I swear I do not know that tobacco causes <laughs> any harm. And they all knew uh, at that time. Uh, and, but there were many other instances, uh, you know, lead paint, uh, uh, the manufacture of vinyl monomers, uh, Many of these things were damaging for humans uh, and the environment, but basically consumers, employees, and others didn't really have a way to be able to fully understand what what those were. And so it was just less of an issue for, for companies back then. Today, this is what I call radical transparency today. Okay, radical transparency Regular transparency is when a company can say, okay, I'm going to share with you this, and I won't share you with you that, et cetera. Radical transparency is when the company doesn't have the ability to control that anymore. You know, it, if you do something that is negative for a group of stakeholders, let's say, you know, you're operating internationally, you've got suppliers in a poor country, and you're displacing villagers someplace there, you know, if you do that, someone is going to upload that onto YouTube and it's going to you know, be a problem for you in your home market. We live in a global, transparent world with expectations that businesses do not harm people and the environment. So really the market, the market environment is very different now than 50 years ago. I, I don't know if that answered your question. It does. Is that going to be the driving force though? I mean, I think companies are looking at sustainability, but sometimes they look at it, this is a price to be paid. You talked about the notion of sustainable value and trying to yeah. look at it from that fashion. 
is it that notion that, you know, someone's going to say something about us that's bad or do they need to look beyond that and think we just need to do this? Right. It's way beyond that. So I think what we were just talking about was more about the general market environment and, and how, you know, rising expectations of business, radical transparency and declining resources. I talk about that in my embedded sustainability book. Um, these factors are reshaping a little how companies can compete around impacts. But look, what is driving the interest? That's your question, right? Yes. What is driving the interest are the risk of value destruction on the one hand, if companies are seen as, as doing the, the wrong thing and the opportunities for value creation. So it's really only about 20, 25 years ago that companies began realizing that doing things that were perceived negatively by employees, by local communities, by government and other groups could lead to economic, economic damages that were, were things like customer deselection. So if you were seen as, you know, the bad player in, in an industry and your product was the same as what the other players were, but you were you were doing things that were harmful to people or to communities or the environment, people would choose to go and buy from your competitors. That would lead to loss of market share. It could lead to preemptive regulation. Uh, it could lead to loss of reputation. So uh, some companies started figuring this, and I'm happy to, to share with you, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, a very interesting case of a company that was in a, in a pretty negative place. Yep, please do. 20 years ago. Well, the case is a, a company that people love to hate and uh, hate to love. Uh, it's uh, Walmart. Okay. And I had the ability to, I had the, at least tangentially to be involved in their initial um, embrace of sustainability in 2005. Okay, so we're almost 20 years ago. At that point, Walmart was being vilified for driving small businesses into bankruptcy, for ill-treating employees and, you know, locking up migrants in their stores over weekends and also having a huge negative environmental footprint because they were, you know, it was everyday low cost at, at the time was their byline. So how do you get everyday low cost? Well, you import the cheapest products you can from China and other countries that had few social and environmental safeguards. So Lee Scott, who was a CEO at the time, you know, was really felt very much under, um, under pressure with all these things and was kind of resistant to even going to exploring. So what, what could sustainability do for Walmart? Okay. That's, that was the question. Right. I mean, and, Guess what? Walmart was not a liberal bastion in, <laughs> in Bentonville, Arkansas. Okay, so it wasn't driven by you know by any sort of liberal values or anything. However, you know, two days la later, uh, two decades later, Walmart is basically, if you, if you do a Google search, it's like a, a global sustainability leader. It's achieved zero. It's almost achieved zero waste. It's diverted seventy percent of its global waste from landfills. It's working with thousands of suppliers to avoid over a gigaton of CO2 emissions in the atmosphere. Um, it's doubled wages for employees in the last five years, uh, which many other companies that, you know, a higher frontline employee, I won't mention others, okay. <laughs> have not done. Uh, it's established um, networks uh, to deal with diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and so on. So, 
Look, this is a company that um, early on realized they were going to save a lot of money because they, their fleet of trucks became more efficient, their stores were more efficient. But then they realized, and, and this is what Lee Scott said in two, sort of two to three years in, he said, I never realized this, but sustainability is actually a merchandising strategy because it got them to get better products on their shelves and get more loyalty from suppliers and lower costs in many in many uh, instances because you know sustainability is people always think it's more expensive but in fact if you take a more systems approach it forced walmart to go back into their supply chains and re-engineer some of those supply chains and and end up with actually better supply chains that were lower cost less waste Anyway, that's just one example. We can talk about companies in, in the Cleveland areas as well, if you wish. This episode of The Landscape is brought to you by Delta Dental of Ohio. With offices in Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Dublin, Delta Dental of Ohio is proud to be an industry leader in dental benefits. Together with our customers, providers, and employees, we build a higher standard of oral health care in our communities. And we are more than dental. At Delta Dental of Ohio, we work with entrepreneurs, innovators, and changemakers who are committed to improving the health and well-being of all Buckeyes. Together, we are building healthy, smart, vibrant communities for all. Let me reintroduce you. Chris Laszlo joins us today for the Landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast. Chris is a professor of organizational behavior at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University. He is going to give the keynote lecture on January 24th as the Greater Cleveland Partnership presents a sustainability summit. That's from 7.30 to 1 p.m. It is sold out. Chris, before we talk about the, some Cleveland companies that are also engaged in this, you mentioned this notion of a merchandising strategy. Are more and more companies realizing this is a good way to differentiate themselves from other companies, that sustainability is a good way to sell themselves? Absolutely. So you've got a growing group of companies that are now competing on the basis of making a positive impact in their local communities and on the environment and having products that are at least in some way differentiated by an environmental benefit, a health benefit, a social benefit. Um, and um, it's, it's, it's grown very rapidly you know, in every industry. So in fast moving consumer goods, You've got companies like Unilever is was particularly well. Uh, that's sort of the European Procter and Gamble, but it's a worldwide company that has really had a retail strategy based on uh, making a, a positive impact. And their their former chair, Paul Pullman, who was there for ten years during that period of time, he had a sustainable living plan for the company. He was pushing sustainability through it. And guess what? During that period, Unilever outperformed its competitors, including Procter & Gamble, by a significant uh, amount. I don't have the exact percentages, but you know, I think that's the key when people start realizing that companies that do compete based on having superior uh, environmental health and social performance are actually doing better than companies, than their competitors that are not doing it. And then, you know, other companies in the energy sector, you've got a, a company called uh, Orsted, in, again, in Europe, which is now moving around the world to help with renewable energy. Uh, and in Europe, they're being, it's very profitable right now. They're, for example, they just set up an offshore wind farm off the UK that is uh, lower cost to operate than natural gas. 
and is helping the UK just at a time when the Ukrainian war was making the price of gas and oil go way up. And there were, there were shortages of fossil fuel based energy fuel. So, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this move to renewable energy also had sort of a geopolitical advantage. Uh, you've got, you know, Schneider Electric, Train, um, many others uh, that are competing based on or environmental and social. Uh, in the food industry, you've got Beyond Meat, you've got a fish uh, version of that called Good Catch. You've got Greystone Bakery um, that uses open hiring. We can talk a little bit about uh, another uh, company that I always admire in the Cleveland area uh, called uh, Edwin's. Oh, sure. Uh, the story of Brandon Krostowski, and they've just opened a Edwin's 2, a new bakery. And, you know, it's, it's using this open hiring model, which falls under the sustainability umbrella. Um, and is about how companies can, you know, as Chuck Fowler um, was fond of saying, uh, or is fond of saying, it's about companies that do well by doing good. It's not about a compromise. This is one of the key messages I want to push out there on the 24th is that it's not a, it's not expensive. It's not something that's nice to have. It's uh, sustainability. It's not something that only bigger, wealthier companies can afford. There are lots and lots of examples of small, medium enterprises with two to 10 employees that have found this to be their way to path to success. And in, in the fashion industry, it's becoming a huge issue. You know, uh, companies are not just trying to reduce negative impacts. They're actually trying to figure out ways to have positive impacts, to do things that are going to be regenerative for the earth and that improve human well-being or increase prosperity. H&M, Eileen Fisher, Reformation, Caring, Patagonia, these are some of the brands there. You have it in banking, you know, Cheetos banking, your resource banking in Cleveland, you've got Epoch Pie. You know, what's wonderful is that now there's such a great number of companies that are showing the way that uh, I'm in a very different place from when I started 20, teaching this 20 years ago, where it was like pulling teeth to get the anecdotes. <laughs> Finally, companies have undergone a change of mindset about sustainability. Did it take a while to convince shareholders that that needed to happen, that they needed to do the same and think it's not just completely about the bottom line, although as you say, this does improve the bottom line often. Did it take a minute for them to understand this is something we oh, need to do? Yes, and it, it takes it takes a, a um, it's it, it, it's all about how you sequence it because if you make it a policy issue about you know ethical targets that really turns off line managers and board members. Um, if you make it just about the bottom line, then those people that have greater aspirations for business to be a, an agent of world benefit, you know, or, or doing something contributing to a better building a better world they get upset so you really have to figure out how to sequence it and how to message it because but but the point is this is that that's why if we talk about sustainability in terms of value creation or destruction it becomes something that business people can embrace and um it, it's still there's still a big mindset in many companies that this is only a nice to have and that and that environmental stuff is not the or social is not really the purpose of business uh and so yes it's um it is it can be a struggle 
Chris, thanks for shedding some light on this. It's a great explanation for people who might not be so familiar with this, and we look forward to the keynote address. We're glad you could join us today. It was my pleasure. Chris Laszlo is a professor of organizational behavior at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University. As we mentioned, Chris will be giving the keynote address as the Greater Cleveland Partnership presents a sustainability summit on January 24th. We're glad you could join us for the landscape. Today's episode was brought to you by Delta Dental of Ohio. You can find out more by visiting deltadentaloh.com. I'm Dan Paletta. Again, thank you for joining us, and we'll talk again soon. Oh, 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 oh,